You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. This thing of discipleship, just the challenge of discipling others. And our church throughout its history has been really good at hosting large events. I mean, we have a youth conference that we'll host that we'll have anywhere from four to 600 students that come in from across the country. And we'll have a, a youth, youth conference. We've hosted national youth workers conferences. We've hosted all kinds of conferences in our church. And it's been great. And all those things are great. But something that I really feel like we could definitely work on is this area of discipleship. And so today I want to take just a few minutes and answer five questions about discipleship. The first three will be pretty quick, pretty brief. And then the last couple, I want to take a little bit of time on because those are the most important ones that I really want to uh, encourage you guys with. There's two groups of people in here. You have the person who is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have a person who, uh, you know, doesn't know uh, Jesus as their personal savior and they're not a disciple. And then you have the other type of person, which is somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And... This message is honestly a perfect message for both of those groups of people. I want to make sure that each and every person uh, pays attention because this isn't me speaking. I want you to know that there is a lot of scripture that we're going to be going through today. And I want you to really listen to what God's word has to say about really the true meaning of a disciple and, and what it is to disciple others. So here we go. Let's start out with our first five questions and we'll get going here. Question number one, what is a disciple? Some of you are like, Mo, I love it. Let's do it. What is a disciple? You know, you don't, you don't even know what that is. You've heard of a Christian before, but a disciple, you've heard maybe of like, I've heard of Jesus having some disciples or something like that. Uh, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, a disciple is this. A disciple is a student who acts on the teachings and practices of another. A student who acts on the teachings and practices of another. So for, for example... You have a Christian, okay? And I think so often we have this thing of uh, Christianity confused because a disciple is somebody who acts, who acts on the teachings, who actually does the teachings and the practices of someone. And obviously as a Christian, we're considered Christ followers. So what Jesus did, we are supposed to be mimicking and acting on what he did here on earth. And we're going to be talking about that today, and I really feel like the definition is very important because we have to understand what a true disciple of Jesus Christ is. Number two, what is discipleship? Okay, I got you on what a disciple is, Mo. That sounds great. So what is discipleship? This is a very easy, brief, three-word definition that I, that I looked up that, that I thought was very easy to understand. Discipleship is making more disciples. That's, that's really what discipleship is. It's, it's making more disciples. That's, that is, discipleship is the action of actually discipling, okay? And so, question number one and question number two, simple. We're done. We're moving on. We're, like I said, these are going to be quick. Question number three, why is discipleship important? You know, I always want to know, like, look, if you're going to talk to me 45 minutes about something, I, I at least want to know why this thing's important. Discipleship is important for three reasons. Number one, discipleship is important because Jesus commands it. Because Jesus commands it. And as a Christian, again, if we want to obey and act on the, follow, or the teachings of Jesus Christ, 
we want to obey what he has to say. So Jesus commands it. Look, let's look here in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says this. Go. That's the first word there. Now, for those of you who are English majors or for those of you who understand the English language, this is an understood you, meaning that who's going? Who, who are we talking to? You. Me. It's an understood you, and this is also what we call an imperative sentence, meaning that it's making a command or request. This right here is saying, Jesus is saying, go. You, go. Mo Capesi, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Amen, Scott? Right? Our missions pastor over here. I love the fact that our church is involved in missions. I love the fact that we got to get to the Lottie Moon, which is, which is an offering that's given to help international missions. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Our church is, has always been a part of that. And that's something that, obviously, you may not be able to disciple somebody in Thailand, but Scott can. You may not be able to disciple somebody in Mexico, but our other missionaries can. We have missionaries across the, the globe that are discipling people of all nations. So it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is a command. Jesus is saying, look, go. Number two, why is it important? Obviously, number one, Jesus commands it. Number two, Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled it. You see, Jesus is literally saying this. He's saying, look, I'm trying to show you guys uh, what to do. Um, I I I preach to the masses. And that's what we're doing here. I mean, I I wouldn't consider this a mass of group of people, but it's a large group of people. And and each week, Gospelite is very adamant about uh, having someone come up on stage and speak to you God's word. And that is very important. And I believe that is very important. But, but Jesus is saying, look, I did that, but I want you to also notice something that I did. I also chose 12 disciples. Let's look here in Luke, 5, or excuse me, Luke 6, 12 through 13. It says this. This is Jesus here. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, Jesus continued in prayer to God. And when day came, Jesus called out to his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Jesus is saying, hello, wake up, everybody. This is how you grow my church. Okay? I take 12 men, ordinary men, fishermen. I take, I take these 12 men, and I'm going to disciple them. And these men, through my power, are going to change the world. And in 2,000 years from now, you're still going to be talking about these men. You're still going to be talking about me because these men have been discipled and they're going to disciple others. And now that there's billions of followers of Jesus Christ throughout history, he's like, guys, wake up. Wake up. It's discipleship. This is how you're going to grow my church. So this is really cool here. This is my favorite part about why discipleship is important. Number one, Jesus commands it. Number two, Jesus modeled it. But number three, disciples actually grow when discipling. Disciples actually grow. This is so awesome. You're going to love this, guys. I'm telling you, it's a blessing. So I'm a teacher, and I uh, also teach uh, high school science and history and junior high as well. And in the Christian school, I teach biology. I teach uh, different science classes. I teach, uh, (coughs) excuse me. Earth, uh, world history, uh, state history, uh, American history, ge- uh, geography. I teach, uh, you know, government economics. I teach a lot of different classes. And, and to be honest with you, for those of you teachers out here, you'll understand this. You can't teach something in case you know what you're doing. 
Like, I'm, I mean, let's be honest. Like, uh, uh, listen, I have no clue about the digestive system, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm going to teach you about it. Like, that doesn't even make sense. You've got to understand what you're talking about to be able to teach it. And this is what's cool. Jesus is saying, look, when you disciple, your relationship with me gets closer. Because you've got to have a relationship with me. If you're going to disciple and say, hey, guys, hey, guys, listen, hey, Zoe, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's start a little uh, discipleship group. And, you know, you're my little brother. I want to disciple you. And, and we're going to look in the scriptures. And we're gonna... You yourself are growing. Jesus is like, dude, this is a win-win scenario. I mean, this is pretty amazing. Jesus is like, you, you, you don't even have to be super selfless to do this. It's actually helping you. It's amazing. And I'm so excited about this point because this is like amazing that Jesus would include this in here. Discipling others for Jesus literally forces us to have a stronger understanding and love for God. So discipleship's important. We have covered that. We've covered uh, what discipleship is and what a disciple is. Now let's take a little bit of time and I want to bring up question number four. How do I become a disciple? Now, many of you are thinking in here, man, Mo, you know, you're, you're, you're literally speaking to a church with a lot of saved people in it. I mean, come on now. This is, you, you're really going to talk about how to, I mean, we all know how to become a disciple. Well, I want to bring to mind to you a, a, a couple of things that, that, that I really believe will, will shock you. Um, this is, this is, this is pretty intense and I want you, I want to preface all this, what I'm about to say by saying, hang in there with me. Okay. Like my dad always says, I'm going to end with a good note, but I want you to, I want you to listen carefully. Uh, there was a, uh, there, you know, I have an illustration to give you before I go on in the 1970s, America switched from, uh, the American army switched from being an actual, uh, uh, draft where you, you know, you, you draft people to go into the army to a volunteer schedule. And they would, they would, you know, obviously try to recruit people and they still do it to this day. Uh, I'm glad to say that our student ministry has produced, I believe, eight or nine uh, soldiers in the U.S. Army uh, in the past three or four years. And we've had students go and into the army and it's exciting. And I'm so stoked about that. And I'm proud of them. And one of the ways that they uh, try to advertise potential recruits was during this time, they, they signed what was called the GI Bill. And the GI Bill allows for college tuition to be paid for for your service to your country. I mean, this is a small token of appreciation saying, thank you for putting your life on the line and being there for us in the reserve and being ready to go. We want to, we want to make sure that we pay for your tuition to go to college. Well, something came up. In 1991, when the first Gulf War began, a few recruits began to, be, began to question whether they really had to leave their family and fight a war. I mean, you really mean that... You really mean that I have to like actually go to the desert and like fight a battle versus an enemy, like a real enemy? I mean, we, we really have to do that. And, and, and they said, yes, when you signed those papers, you, you said that you'd go where we told you to go. Now, I think you might be making the connection here between what I'm talking about here. But you see, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, Jesus is very clear about what a disciple is. Jesus is very clear. In fact, I want, to look, I want to take a look at the ministry of Jesus. You know, there's a common misconception that there's some type of reserved Christianity. There's a common misconception that, you know, look, I've prayed a couple times. I have, uh, you know, I go to church pretty regularly. Uh, look, I'm a Christian. I go through the motions. And as we look at Jesus's 
perception of what a disciple is, I think you might be a little shocked. You see, Jesus was attracting large gatherings of people at the time. He was performing miracles and, and thousands of people. In fact, the Bible says that in some stories, up to 20,000 people, some scholars say, would gather around and see Jesus speak and, and watch him perform miracles. I mean, that's amazing. He had all these followers, but very few disciples. And I, I want to bring to mind what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, 27, and 33. He said, look, I don't want there to be any fine print. I want to be very clear of what it's required to become a true disciple of me. Look at this passage. It's pretty powerful here. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, even hate your own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first down sit down and, and count the cost? So therefore, listen to this, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think that, that verse right there shook my world. Wait a minute, Jesus. That, that disciple thing, that, that's intense. You know, most people in our society today would say, that's really harsh. That's, that's impossible. That's improbable. That's unreasonable. Jesus is a crazy person. But before we act like Jesus is a little too crazy, I want to give you an example, an illustration that I think will really help you understand what Jesus is trying to say in this passage of Scripture. Because it can be confusing if you just read it. Wait a minute, Jesus wants us to hate? I thought God was love and we need to love people. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let's, like I said, let's stay to the end here. So, five years ago, I took uh, my then-girlfriend, Susanna, to New, uh, New Orleans. <coughs> Excuse me. And we went to New Orleans, and uh, I went with my brother and sister-in-law, Luke and Desi, or then at the time they weren't my brother and sister-in-law. We went down to New Orleans, and I have family down there. We obviously love the food, and we get to stay with my family, hang out with them. We have a good time. And we literally love going to New Orleans, but this time was special. This time, we actually uh, were excited because she didn't know this at the time, but I was going to ask her to marry me. And so what I did was I tried to think of something cute, you know, to, to do and try to think of something thoughtful. And so I uh, had her, uh, or excuse me, Desi, take her to go get some coffee and Luke and I. And if you've ever been to downtown where French Quarter is and where Jackson Square is down there, there's a whole bunch of street artists. It's a really cool place. And and I, and I talked to one of the street artists and I said, look, I want you to do a caricature of me and my girlfriend when she comes back. But instead of doing an actual caricature, I want you to put me on my knees and I want you to put a ring in my hand and I want you to put the words, will you marry me? And obviously when you turn, turn it around, I'll be on my knees and I'll ask her to marry me. So obviously uh, this happens and I mean, completely obvious. She said, yes, who could say no to you know, pretty charming, strong jawline. Uh, obviously, she said yes, but here's a picture of us when we went, and she's got the ring on. You can't really see it, uh, but it's there, okay? Uh, <laughs> we were, uh, and you also can't see this, we were actually crying and 
There's like, you know, the, the, the wiping the tears away. And what a great time there asking Seuss, you know, to marry me. And, and you know what's interesting about this whole thing? When I asked Seuss to marry me, it wasn't a simple question because if we really think about biblical marriage, it's something a lot more extreme. See, when I asked Susanna to marry me, I said, Susanna, will you make me the most important person in your life? Will you set aside your parents? Would you set aside your brothers, your sisters, all your other friends, and, and even our future children to devote yourself first and foremost to me? Will you give up sole ownership of all that you own and, and share that with me? And, and, and I'll do the same commitment for you. No lovers on the side, Seuss. No secret bank accounts. No higher loyalties. That's what biblical marriage is. And I find it interesting because that's why the Bible, you know, compares marriage to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, right now, in this room, right now, Jesus is calling out to you and he's saying, Look, I want more than just a simple prayer. I want a relationship with you. And he's saying, he's saying, Will you marry me? Will you come into this intimate relationship with me and give me priority over everybody else? It doesn't mean technically that I have to hate my mom and hate my dad. I love my mom and dad. But it means that Susanna is number one. I love my children. It's crazy how much I love my children. But Susanna, you are number one. You are the top most priority in my life. Whenever I got married, I, I gave up sole possession of all that I own. Very little, but I did. And I said, Seuss, I'm going to share this Nintendo 64 with you. And the $34 I have in my wallet is yours. You know, I, I did have to give up some freedoms, though, when I married Seuss. You know, things that I enjoyed to do. Uh, I love... It's crazy. It's a little bad, but I love playing basketball. I love watching basketball. I love everything about sports. And, you know, I still watch some every now and then. March Madness is around right now, and I've been watching the games. But, you know, I watch 100% less than I did back. I mean, it was crazy. That's all we did. We, we were either playing basketball or playing sports and watching it. I mean, that, that, I loved it. And as a, as a single... I could go do it. I didn't have anybody to, to go home to. I didn't have to spend time, you know, taking that time to, to, to spend that time with my wife. I was, I was traveling. I was, you know, had my own little business. I had a few bucks and I would go and travel the world. I was going to all these places and enjoying some freedoms of being single. And many people in our culture would say, yeah, I mean, well, you had it all. Enjoying life. Why get married? I mean, you have to give up so much freedom. Well, can I be honest with you? The, the real reason I got married is because of this. There was and is something so attractive about my wife that I was drawn irresistibly to give myself to her. I longed to enter an exclusive, intimate, loving relationship and dreamed of the joy that our marriage could bring. I put my heart and my trust in her, believing that she would take care of it because she loved me. You see, when I got married, I didn't think about, oh my goodness, I have to give up all this? Oh, this is the worst. When I got married, I was thinking, I get to have all this? This is amazing. Look at her. Look at how awesome she is. She's the best. 
She's amazing. I mean, I, I was so excited that we had a celebration about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Japanese, okay? And Asians are known for being a little bit stingy with their money, okay? And I, I did not like to spend money. And I, I, we, were, we were, you know, we, I didn't understand fully the save the date thing. I was like, hold on. We're sending something out to let people know that we're sending them an invitation? I, that's, what, that's not efficient, you know? But, but, you know what? I didn't have a problem with it. So, you know, let's get the nice invitation, you know, save the dates. And then, and then the nice invitations. I mean, I took Darian and Elijah with me. They came with me. They were in, a senior in high school at the time, and uh, their parents were crazy enough to let them drive all the way out to California with me. Uh, and we had a good time. But on the way out, what did we do? I bought, spar- I bought $300 worth of sparklers. What was I thinking? I wouldn't ne- I mean, sparklers? For one picture? Just, I mean, they were just going to light them? Yay. And then we were leaving. I mean, $300? What am I thinking? But I didn't care. I was excited. Uh, this is amazing. Everybody, I'm getting married. Come watch. This is, this is the best. And I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here because this thing of marriage and your relationship with Christ is so similar. You see, I want you to get these, to get these next notes here. Nothing in this world can compare to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ intimately. Nothing. Nothing in this world can compare to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ intimately. You see, when you see God's character, and you see his truth, and you see his trustworthiness, his overwhelming love and beauty, then you desire him as a priceless treasure that you would do anything to attain. Anything. Here's the problem. We sing a song like we just sang a minute ago, but we're not thinking of the words. Think about the words of that song. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. God, show me who you are. Fill me with your heart and and lead me in your love to those around me. You see, when when you get your eyes open to how amazing God and Jesus is, it's, it's a game changer. It changes your whole philosophy and outlook on life. Paul said it this way. Paul was a very educated man, one of the most educated men in his day. He, he literally was under the teaching of the Michael Jordan of that day. I mean, he was, a, he was very, very smart. He had power. He had influence. And in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, he said this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. I mean, Paul had this thing down. Paul understood, and I pray to God that he would allow me to understand and know him better and say, God, you know, I want to be a disciple of you, and to be a disciple of you, I have to understand that I've got to get rid of everything else in my life, all the selfish desires, selfish ambitions. I give give up my dreams, and then I give them to you. Now, some of you say, man, that's pretty crazy. I mean, I... I got a great job. I got, you know, this, I got that. I got money. I got this house. I'm not giving. 
I'm not saying that you have to give up your house for Jesus right now. What I'm saying is this. You've got to put Jesus' number one priority in your life. You see, it's interesting. I gave this illustration to the youth group this Wednesday. It's a pretty funny illustration. My son, MJ, he is nine months old. And uh, he is actually... um, he is actually crawling a lot, and he, when he crawls on the ground, he finds the smallest specks and things on the ground. He's probably eaten 75 roaches, 97 spiders. Uh, he's Because he's, everything he picks up, he just puts in his mouth. And you know what I'm talking about, parents. It's just like instant. Like, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? This is, you're crazy, bro. And then, and then Lainey, my daughter, she's got this weird thing with rocks. Okay, so she, like we went to Chick-fil-A the other day, and I look at the table, and there's like three rocks on our table. I'm like, what's this? And Lainey was like, those are mine. I'm like, all I have to do is get you rocks from the... I don't want to buy any more toys. I can get some rocks from the ground. Look at this amazing rock, you know? And, and so Lainey had brought a rock in the house. And my son MJ grabbed that rock. And he was holding on to that rock. And, and he wanted to eat that rock. And I had a civil conversation with my nine-month-old. And I said, MJ, now listen, you swallowed that. You, you pro- it could be fatal. I mean, there's a good chance you die. We don't want that to happen. So that's why I'm going to ask you to hand over that rock. What do you think MJ did? Go to his, I mean, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I go down and I grab his hand and he's pretty strong. I'm not going to, I mean, he's got good genes, but he, he's pretty strong. And I'm trying to rip open his hand and I'm like, what's happening here? I can't, and, 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 and you know what's funny about the whole story? In my other hand, I had his favorite. A strawberry puff. He loves strawberry puffs. I don't even know what those are, but he loves them. You buy them at the store, they're strawberry puffs, and, you know, he didn't have any teeth, but they dissolve, and he loves them. And I, and I was saying, MJ, give me the thing that's going to kill you, and let me give you something better. Because I'm his dad. I, I know a little bit more than he does. And so often we're like, no, I'm not going to be a disciple. The Bible talks in the scripture about a man who said, what do I have to do to be a disciple? And, and Jesus says, sell all that you have. Sell all that you have and follow me. And he said, ah. And the Bible says that he turned in shame because he couldn't give it up. You know, a true disciple is, is pretty radical. It's something that is not, to be, is not to be just thought of as some kind of casual decision. This is a major life-changing decision that that is totally, totally life-changing. You see, to gain Christ is to know a satisfaction that the world knows nothing of. It is a present reality with the promise of an eternal reward. It's a present reality. I love that statement because it illustrates this. Listen, the present reality is amazing. So many people, you know, my dad has given the illustration of it will be worth it all. You know, it's worth it all now. Following Jesus is worth it. And even if I don't get what I used to want, I've got what I want now because Jesus has given me the desires that I want now. He's given me the desire to have a strong relationship with my wife and a strong relationship with my kids. He's given me the desire, it's the craziest desire, to actually spend hours upon hours each week with teenagers. I mean, that's crazy. I want to do that. That's ridiculous. Who, th- that doesn't even happen. And I want to. People are like, you, you, there's no way you really want. I want to. I've chosen this because Jesus has put that in my life. And I'm happier than I've ever been. And I'm not saying that I have this thing down and that I'm perfect. And I'm just saying that God is working in my life. And I hope that he will today work on yours. 
So number four, we said that, you know, obviously, how do you become a disciple? You've got to give up your selfish ambitions, your selfish desires, and you've got to give them to him. Lastly, and I'm done, number five, how can I begin to disciple others? Some of you said, okay, Mo, I get it, okay, disciple, that's pretty crazy. I probably need to make a decision today to be a little bit more radical about my faith. You're right. How do I do that? How can I help disciple other people? Four simple steps. Number one, teach. Teach. At its core, discipling is teaching. Teach God's word. At its core, discipling is just teaching. Teach God's word. You may say, I'm not a great teacher. Great. You don't have to be. God's word will do the work. Just trust me. Teach God's word. Now, this is a little bit, this is a little bit, you know, geared towards the parents. But I have a passion for you parents out here. And I wish that I could spend a million hours. I got to, I got to go, you know, I've been able to go to a few of your houses and spend time talking with you guys. And, and, and it's great. But I have a passion for you parents because I want you to understand this. That the discipleship responsibilities of your children solely are on you. I mean, it's on you. I'm not saying that I can't help. I can be there for them. I can, I can, you know, preach to them on Wednesday nights. But I can be honest with you and say that I struggled. I was, I was really the other night just thinking, man, I was talking to my dad. Like, I just feel like I'm speaking and they're not getting it. And just every now and then I, Satan tries to discourage me. And, 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 and then God gave me this. He's like, Mo, you've got to do more for the parents. Some of these parents need to understand that discipleship happens at home. It's, it's your responsibility to say, you know what? I'm going to fight for you. I, son, daughter, you, you are God's responsibility that he's given to me. I am going to fight for you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to ask you about your spiritual life. I'm going to ask you about what's going on. I'm going to fight for you. I'm not just going to sit back and let somebody else do my job. I can ask for help. I can, but I'm going to fight for you. And I'm talking, I'm talking about some, some parents out here that are the best parents ever. I love you guys. And I'm saying that I can work on things, but I'm trying to speak truth here today. You need to fight for your kids. I need to fight for my kids. I need to fight for my kids. I've got a disciple. I've got to teach. I've got to teach Laney on a daily basis that Jesus is number one. I've got to teach Laney. And show her that my and my wife's relationship and my marriage is strong so she can understand what a true, strong marriage in Jesus is. She, 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 uh, Lainey and my son MJ have to see that for me. We're going to talk about that in a second. So number one, we got to teach. Number two, we got to correct. Number one, we teach. Number two, we correct. You see, here's what's interesting. People grow. Yes, they do when you teach them general truths. That's true. But they also grow when you correct their errors. They also grow when you correct your errors. This is the least favorite, I think, of, of most people. Nobody wants to get on anybody. I, I, it's like crazy. You know, you're like, the other day, I, I told this, so funny. We were in the hallway, and one of the students, he was talking to me, and all this, I was like, There's, it's a 10-minute break. This kid had chocolate all over right here. And I was like, you've been talking to all your friends. I said, y'all are terrible friends. Nobody told him he has a massive thing of chocolate just sitting right here. Nobody wants to tell, because it's offensive. I don't want to offend that person because something's wrong. Like, look, I got, I got the worst teeth. It's crazy. I always get stuff stuck in my teeth. And, like, I'll go an entire day. I'll eat something. Like, I'll eat cilantro in my eggs that morning. And then, like, that night, there's still cilantro in there. I'm like, no way. 
how. Nobody said, Mo, you've got some cilantro in your teeth. You see, we've got to correct. Now, I've got, I've got a few passages of Scripture just to kind of help out here because I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not teaching opinion here. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Look at Proverbs 13, 24. It says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 29, 15 through 17 says this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Listen to this. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. I mean, this is pretty clear here. Discipline is something that comes with love. Discipline is something that if you care about somebody, you've got to discipline them. You help them. You do it in love. It looks different for everybody. But we've got to correct. Now, how do we know discipline and correcting is morally okay? I mean, certain, you know, this is, you know, this is kind of a touchy subject in our society today. Well, let's just look at Hebrews twelve six. It says this. For the Lord disciplines. Who does he discipline? He disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. We're just to follow God's example, guys. Don't be afraid. Again, this, there's a way to do it, and you know, there's not time to explain all that, but you're not doing it in, in a mean, prideful way. You're doing it in a loving way and saying, look, I love you. I've gone to a student before and said, listen, you know I love you. He said, oh, of course you I said, your attitude stinks right now towards authority. And you know what he did? He cried. And he said, thank you. We're just scared. And can I tell you, if you do it in love, they know. They know, and it helps. Number three, model. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa, now. We teach, we correct, and we model. You see, ultimately, we communicate by the way we live more than with our words. This is where it's like, okay, you have me up to here. I don't mind telling him to do this, but come on. I'm older. I'm an adult. I do what I want. We model. First Peter 2.21 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. Okay, well, Jesus, what was your example? How did you teach? How did you disciple? Let's go through these four real quick. These are awesome. I got these from the econ. I did not come up with this. This is amazing, though, and I think this, it helped me tremendously to see how Jesus taught. Number one, Jesus said, I do, you watch. I do, you watch. Look here in Mark 1, 17 through 18. It says this, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He says, guys, come on. Let me show you how it's done. My dad used to have a statement, and some of you may know it. Stick with the kid, Mo. You'll go places. Let me show you how this is done. Okay, dad, yeah. And I'd watch him do it, and I was excited. Jesus is saying, look, I do, you watch. And then what's next? He says, I do, you help. Luke 9, 12 says this. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For, we are, for, uh, for uh, we are here in a desolate place. And Jesus then says, you do it. <laughs> you do it. 
I'll help you, but I mean, you, you do it. And he's, he's trying to help these disciples. And then what does he do? He says, all right, now you do, I help. Look at Luke 9, 1 through 2. It says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power. And he gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus empowered these disciples and said, okay, now it's your turn. You go do it and I'll help you. I'll help you now. And then lastly, he says, now you do and I watch. Look at Matthew 28, our our text that we read in the beginning. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So since that's the case, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, okay, now I've taught you how to do it. Now you go do it. I mean, he did a pretty good job. This is amazing. We're still in here today talking about it. 2,000 years later. It's impressive. Jesus knew what he was doing, and he said, guys, I'm setting the example. You follow in my footsteps. You know, we'll teach our kids how to drive, right? I remember my dad teaching me how to drive, and, you know, he's funny. He's always, I mean, even today. He called me yesterday. You know, uh, ready for tomorrow? Get everything ready? Need any help? You know, he gets worried when I do stuff. He just, you know, I'm a little crazy. You should probably be worried about me, but... He's always been that way. When I was driving, he would tell oh, 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 no, no, too close. He's just, you know, I remember him teaching me how to drive. I remember him teaching me how to shoot, how to shoot my shot and get the right form. I remember him teaching me all these things. But you know what else he taught me? He taught me how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Parents, adults, don't forget to teach. Don't forget to disciple your kids on how to have a relationship with God. Titus 2, 6-7 says this, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Model it. Philippians 4, 9 says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's pretty awesome. All these passages of scripture are just amazing. It's clear. We've got a model. Number four, and we're done. Love. We've got to teach. We've got to correct. We model. And in all of this, we love. You see, true discipling is a form of mutual love. It's not just a teacher-student relationship. It's a peer-peer relationship, meaning that the person you're discipling and that you've chosen to disciple understands that you have issues too. I don't want to come across to somebody and anybody here. If I'm, if I'm saying anything, guys, I need this more than you do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm loving studying about this. I'm so challenged, it's not even funny. I need this thing. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another. It's not, oh, just, you know, Pastor Eric gets up and stirs me up every Sunday. Who's stirring him up? Stir up one another to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the goal is to love younger Christians by helping them live a life pursuing Jesus. While recognizing that your ability to do so depends on them helping you to do the same. 
I'm, it's crazy how much I learn from my students. I'm like, I'm t- teaching about World War II, and the student said, Coach Mo, hey, you know this, this, and this, and this? And I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't say, son, you don't know anything. Believe me, I'm the teacher. Shut up. I, don't, I mean, I don't do that. Man, I, you know what I do after class? I research it. And I, now I know about it, right? For the next class, I'm learning. You're never too old to learn. You can learn things from anybody. It's a peer period. It's, it's understanding that we grow together. Look at this. This is crazy here. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Everybody's going to know that you're my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you have love for one another. I have, a, I have a, my version of it that I put in my notes is this. By this, all people will know that you're not my disciples if you hate one another. How often do we see Christians hating each other? It's crazy. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, if you read this verse, it's kind of clear. Hate is, there's no, there's no room for hate for people here. We can teach, we can correct, we can do all these things in love. But Jesus says here, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's my closing thoughts. Disciples make disciples. Who are you personally discipling? I said there was two groups of people in here. There's the group of people that maybe aren't a disciple. Maybe you thought you were. Maybe you, maybe you didn't think you were and you just know you're not. There's the group of people in here that knows they're disciples, but they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So do I need to become a disciple or who can I disciple? Those are questions that I want to come up here at the end of this message. Here's three challenges and I'm done. The young people. Find friends who you can disciple. <coughs> Excuse me. Find friends who you can disciple and be discipled by. Parents, help your kids. Help your kids find some people that, that are, are, find some friends that are good, that are going to help them. Look, I'm not saying that they can't ever be and hang around other people who aren't Christians and who may not have a strong faith. But what I'm saying is this. It is important that each one of your young people and each one of your children understand the importance of good people being around them to help each other. You know what's interesting? Proverbs, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 4.12 says this. I love this verse. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You know, I have such high expectations for each one of the students here. I don't say, well, he's just a teenager. Or she's just a teenager. She can't do that. They're, they're just, they're young people. They, they need to just learn how to clean their room. No, 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 no. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking you can do more than clean your room. You can change the world. Forgive me for being a little passionate. These teenagers are going to be my daughter and my son's next generation of leadership. I'm expecting, I'm expecting big things. Hey, that grading class, that wasn't okay. I expect more from you. I expect more from you. I expect high expectations. I don't, I don't make them feel bad for not attending them. I tell them, look, I love you no matter what. But look, I'm, I expect high expectations. You could do anything you want. The Bible says that Josiah was an eight-year-old and he was the king of his country. Eight years old. I can tell you right now, eight years old is a pretty young... I mean, that's crazy. We look throughout Scripture and we see the young people that, that were 
literally changing their world. It's amazing. To the middle-aged people, disciple your children or adopt someone to disciple. Some of you may say, well, I don't have any kids anymore, or I don't have kids, period. So I, I don't have to disciple my kids. Great, adopt one. Now, I don't technically mean adopt one, like literally. What I mean is this. And if you want to, that's great. And that's, I love the fact that our church is getting more into the foster system, and that's amazing. And I want to get involved as well as we <laughs> get a little bit more mature in our relationship together. And as MJ gets older, I'd like to get more involved in that. But, but here's what I mean by that. We're having a father-son activity. I don't have a son. I'm not going to go to that. I have a son. He's nine months old. He probably wouldn't be that good at putt-putting. I'm not taking MJ this year. Don't judge me. Last year, in the past couple of years, uh, I've been able to take Joey Rubio, and he, you know, played me this year. He's going Brother Mark this year. No, I'm just kidding. Brother Mark, thanks for asking. You're amazing. But, but here's, you know what I did? I found somebody else. Well, Mo, I don't know any, but I could give you all, kids all day. There are thousands. It's crazy. We have 7,000 students, just high school students and junior high students in Hot Springs alone, and thousands of them are struggling without a father figure in their life. Adopt a kid. I'm not going to that father's activity. I have a daughter. Or I don't have kid. Adopt one. You know who I adopted? I adopted a kid. He's probably here today, uh, but, but, you know, I'm not going to call him out. But basically, you know, I've got, I've got someone who, who didn't have a father. Not there. And I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to spend a little bit of time with you. I'm going to let you know that you're loved. I'm going to take you out. I'm going I'm to make sure that I'm doing what Jesus would have done. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You've got to train your children. Fight for your children. I don't have children. Adopt someone. Make sure you're investing in the next generation. And lastly, to the older folks, I just put this, disciple anyone. You guys are the MVPs. You guys are the MVPs. What do I mean by that? There's scriptures that I could have read a million of them. Job 12, 12 says this, Wisdom is with the aged. And understanding in length of days. You know, one of the things that I love most is I love to, I love to get advice from older people because, like, they've been around the block. They know, hey, I wouldn't do this. Why would I go ask somebody who's going along? You know, I'm not going to ask for advice from somebody who's literally struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. I want to ask somebody who's been through it. We have an amazing, diverse church. We actually have a Probably, I mean, I haven't done the numbers, but I would go out on a limb and say we probably have about a 33, 33, 33% of older, middle-aged, and young people. It's close. It's, it, it really is very rare. I've gone to churches all across the country with my dad as he speaks, and it's rare to see a church. They're either all old with like two young kids, or they're all young with no old people. And the, or they're, it's a middle-aged group where they just, you know... It's very rare that you see a church that has a, such a great diversity, and that's one of the things I love about Gospel Light. We have Miss Marion Harold over here. I mean, Miss Marion's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm not even going to say her age, but let's just say it's amazing how young she is. And then we have, obviously, a ton of kids over in kids. I mean, it's amazing. Hey, don't be selfish with your wisdom. I don't know how God could use me. I'm just, I'm a little, share your wisdom with people. We need it. <laughs> we need it. Instead of complaining, ah, oh, I can't stand this next generation. They're all, these millennial, 
Have you tried help? Have you tried sharing a little wisdom? Each person in here, and as the worship band comes up, each person in here, I want to challenge you today. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and, and you know if you are or you're not, I'd like for you to make that decision today. Every single person, I would like for you to say, you know what, Mo's right. I could definitely, I could definitely, you know, see where I'm, uh, I'm not a disciple. And, and for everybody else in here who says, you know, I'm a disciple, can I ask you this? Can you disciple one person? Choose one person. Our church this, this next uh, few months is going to be working up. I've talked with Scott, and we've talked about it in staff meeting and been talking with the elders trying to figure out this best. We want to work on this thing of discipleship. Stirring one another in love into good works. Allowing the older generation to influence the younger generation. Instead of complaining about them, let's do something. Let's share the wisdom with them. So this, hey, this doesn't work. Trust me, we've been there.